At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. The last three years have been tough on Canadian entrepreneurs. That's why we are so excited to announce the 2023 Startup Canada Tour, a five-stop national opportunity to connect entrepreneurs across Canada. Join us for keynotes, panels, and practical workshops, an exhibitor zone featuring Canada's support organizations, speed mentoring in our Ask the Expert lounge, and an opportunity to compete in on-site pop-up pitches. We will be in Whitehorse on April 25th, Halifax on May 2nd, Vancouver on May 11th, Calgary on September 28th, and stay tuned for details on our final stop in Ontario. Want a free pass? Use code PODCAST at checkout. Learn more and get tickets now for the closest stop near you at startupcanadatour.ca. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear new stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're excited to speak with Karen McCall, based in Whitehorse in Canada's Yukon. Karen McCall is editor of Yukon North of Ordinary, and she produces two podcasts, Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast, and Frisky North of 60. She's also working with a local legend on a book about ski trekking. Karen's reporting has taken her to the Arctic, down the Mackenzie River, and into the Yukon backcountry. She graduated from the University of King's College with a Bachelor of Journalism in 2014, and that year she was the recipient of the Gordon Sinclair Roving Reporter Bursary. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Where are you from, and what's it like in the Yukon compared to where you're from? (laughs) I grew up in Calgary, although I spent the large part of my 20s uh, moving around uh, BC mostly, actually all over Canada, and then... My first foray into the north was working for Parks Canada. I was up in Nahani National Park in Fort Simpson Northwest Territories. And then I was in Akaluit, Nunavut. And then I came over to uh, the Yukon. So um, I sometimes call Whitehorse Vancouver of the north because compared to some other northern communities, we have a lot of amenities here. We have road access. Uh, We have everything we need up here. So 
Um, there's a lot more open spaces here than where I grew up in in Calgary, but uh, Whitehorse itself, a city of 32,000, it's uh, it's got everything we need here, so we're pretty lucky. Right, and so you've been to Ekaliwit, as you said, and Nahani, so you, you, you've seen the really far north. So so you're actually able to, to really describe Whitehorse really well, because it's not far north. It's definitely north, but 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 not the tundra it's 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 a very special place of its own it is yeah so exciting before we get started and talk about the work you're doing tell us what's the top piece of advice that you hope entrepreneurs might take away from our conversation today well i'm kind of a terrible entrepreneur entrepreneur so hopefully uh some people can can relate to maybe not coming by that naturally but one thing i've learned actually quite recently is just to know your value and the value of your time. So it's only, I guess I've been contracting uh, most of my life in in some regard, but uh, recently realized like the hourly rate that I charge people for my work is way under what I should be charging. And so the lesson there is about doing research, but then also just having the confidence and knowing that if someone wants to engage you for your work, then uh, it's you're, you deserve to be paid for that time. And so I still cringe when I think of some of the, the work I did for, for very little. And uh, so uh, that's, that, that's my you main piece. Both. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's also, that's also maybe a journalism thing, right? We know it's a competitive market and it's like, okay, well, if I'm not going to do it, there's going to be a bunch of people behind me. Um, but I think maybe collectively we need to raise the bar a little bit on that. No, I, absolutely. And journalism and no one else needs to worry about this but journalism the rates are lower than when i started out you know 30 years ago so the the price pressures are real and it's really hard to get what you're worth have you figured out a way to say uh well that's a very great rate that's a good rate thank you but my rate is this have you figured out a way to conduct that conversation i have I work in a co-space here in in Whitehorse, so there's a lot of entrepreneurs and contractors here, and so I've talked to people and be like, hey, what what is the rate? And actually, I've worked with some really great, I've subcontracted, like copy editing, not glamorous work for people who are like, hey, this is the minimum amount you should be charging. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's like way more than I've been charging. So so that's great. So honestly, it's more been coming from the people uh, lately contracting me who are like, this is what other people charge us. You should charge us at least this amount. Right. And what got you into journalism in the first place? As far back as I can remember, I've been curious, which is, you know, one of the major foundations for someone who wants to be a journalist. Um, even now, when I go to social gatherings, I'm the person that sometimes I can, I meet someone new and I, I just start like hammering questions at them. And then one of my friends <laughs> <laughs> will interrupt and be like, oh, you know, excuse Karen, she's a journalist. And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even realize I was getting in that mode. I'm just, I'm just really curious about kind of what these, what makes people tick. But I totally get it. You just want to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, um, so when I was considering my career possibilities back in high school, um, I thought about journalism. Um, and at that time, an influential person in my life said, don't be a journalist. You'll never make any money, which is totally true. And um, but I, so I listened <laughs> to them. Uh, I did a business degree, which uh, wasn't 
I, anyways, it was what it was, but I wouldn't say I, I kind of followed the path of, of the business program so much. And then 10 years later, I went back to journalism school and did a one-year post-grad. So it's true, I won't make any money, but I just realized that's where my heart was. And so I decided to pursue it anyway. That, 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 that's beautiful. And maybe <laughs> we'll figure out a way to make journalism pay again. <laughs> Somewhere along the way. Uh, did you use that business degree before you went into journalism? Are there parts of your resume you didn't share with us already? <laughs> uh, I guess in my 20s, that was the period of moving around a lot. I did a lot of contract work. I worked for nonprofits. I got into a little bit of outdoor education. Uh, and then I started, uh, I guess, a, a four-year mini career with, with Parks Canada before I went to journalism school. So, I mean, I guess that kind of feeds into the the journalist's personality too, is just always interested in uh, new experiences and, and new places. Um, but I'd started freelancing before I went to journalism school and kind of like that's where I was starting to put more of my energy. And then I decided, okay, well, if this is, this is what I really enjoy. I'm going to go to journalism school. It's only a year. And what have I got to lose? Right. So were you working with Parks Canada when you were up at Nahani National Park? I was, yes. And what were you doing up there? Because that sounds like a dream job. <laughs> you know, it was a dream job and it, it's a pretty unique job. There's not a lot of jobs that exist uh, like that anymore in Parks Canada. I was a natural and cultural interpreter. And cool. uh, I mean, that job does still exist. But with the nature of Nahani, it's a fly-in park. So uh, I'd be in the backcountry for 10 days at a time, living at a cabin and taking guests there on uh, interpretive walks and delivering uh, campfire programs and things like that. So that's sort of like more the lifestyle that the Parks Canada wardens get to live. So to kind of uh, experience that as a uh, interpreter communicator was uh, really unique and special. What's the name of Sid Marty? Sid Marty, have you, have you ever heard of him from Calgary? Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> former read... former Parks Canada Ranger in Banff who who made a career out of uh, writing books about those experiences. And I used to lap them up. And I wanted that lifestyle of being in the backcountry on your horse for a week at a time, just checking on lost hikers. Yeah, I've read a couple of his books. They're great. And and actually, I kind of feel like we're due for another book of that nature with some of the some of the other wardens. I mean, just the stories they have. It's incredible. I, and I guess that's the part about being a journalist, right, is you're just always looking for the next story. And, and there's just so many interesting people out there. Uh, you, you talked about not being a very good entrepreneur, but you were a, a freelance writer and you're still finding new projects to do. So I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about um, you know, the, 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 the similarities between entrepreneurship and journalism. Well, I think, uh, as a freelancer, which I'm not, um, most of the, the copy editing work I'm doing now is, uh, sort of outside of that, but you have to, as you know, Rick, uh, send query letters to editors, um, pitching them your story idea, which is, I think, entrepreneurial. You're, you're giving them a pitch and hoping they'll accept it and giving them the reasons of, of why they're to be doing and that you want them to accept the pitch. Um, and then also, I mean, a lot of journalism jobs, like my current role as the editor of Yukon North Vornary, they aren't full-time. So there, there's always sort of supplementing that has to happen on the side. So you're kind of always keeping an eye on what's going on and you're, um, just have, I guess, have your hand in, in many pots and, and many side hustles to, to stay afloat. So I think that aspect uh, makes, makes journalism entrepreneurial. 
<laughs> so tell us about North of Ordinary. It's both a magazine and a website, like, but it's like a really gorgeous, real, actual on-paper uh, quarterly magazine. It is. So Yukon North of Ordinary, it's it's a mouthful. Uh, it's a beautiful magazine. Our art director, Manu Kegenhoff, has a large uh, part of that. She does a lot of our photography, too. Uh, so... And actually, we've only recently started putting stories on our website. So the magazine's been around for 17 years. I've been the editor just for three. Uh, but before that, it was uh, exclusively print for most of its lifetime. Uh, Yukon North of Ordinary is on Air North. So it's an airline magazine, but it's not just an airline magazine. Um, but we showcase the Yukon's people, culture, places, outdoors. So it, it's not a tourism magazine. We do tell some harder hitting stories too, but it is sort of showcasing life in the Yukon. And I think the unique thing about it being on Air North is that's an airline that it's it's about half owned by Yukon shareholders and also a First Nation, the Vuntut Gwich'in First Nation. So there's actually a lot of loyalty with Yukoners to this airline. They actually love the airline. I think we kind of feed off that loyalty too because people love the magazine. They love picking it up. They love, you know, it, there's 42,000 people in the Yukon. So anyone who's reading that magazine is likely to see someone they know in there or they're reading about places they've been to before. And so it's a very... Um, it's a very local magazine. Um, but also, I mean, I think the Yukon holds a lot of interest for people uh, elsewhere in Canada and internationally. So um, for people traveling to the Yukon and also some, some subscribers uh, outside of the Yukon, like they just love hearing about what we're doing here and the, and the stories here. And can I ask what the circulation is? So I believe... It's around 10,000 normally, and a large part of that does go to Air North and then some subscribers and businesses around town. One thing that um, our publisher has started doing recently is sending it with a mail out with the Globe and Mail. So last May, we put our issue in mailboxes with the Globe and Mail in Ontario, and this May, we'll be uh, distributing it with the Globe and Mail in Alberta. So yeah, so trying to reach larger markets. And that's, that's mostly for our advertisers. Um, coming out of the pandemic, uh, Yukon North Borneo was taken off of the airline, uh, as happened, I think, with other airline magazines. And so publishers started thinking, okay, what can we do? Right. I'm sorry, I forgot all about that. Yeah, I know, yeah. right? <laughs> and uh, so we still needed to get the distribution there so that so that they could sell advertising. And so they started mailing Yukon North of Ordinary to all households in the Yukon. And then that was really popular. The advertisers liked that. So um, starting these other like wider mail outs too. And um, that has really been just kind of bolstering uh, our, yeah, just the, the support of local businesses in the magazine. So that's great. Right. Yeah. And, and packaging your magazine with the Globe or another newspaper that has a, a, a you know, your that includes your target audience. Uh, perfectly legitimate tactic. Um, I do a bunch of work for a magazine called Corporate Nights, and its entire and almost its entire circulation consists of the magazine being sent to people who who didn't ask for right. it, but they get it because they live in desirable uh, postal districts of. Canada and uh, for the Globe and Mail and also through the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal. See, sometimes people so, don't know what's good for them. 
<laughs> well, exactly. And and if it's a if it's a good magazine, then people can tell the difference between the magazine and the and and you know the, the drugstore ads, and 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 they read the magazine. So you know, as an as it gets harder and harder to sell subscriptions to people, and it and it and it has, and that's one of the reasons for the decline of journalism. Um, it's it's a legitimate tactic to make use of lists in order to uh, to, to 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 send your publication. So Definitely. It's an entrepreneurial hack for anyone who wants to get into journalism, not that we'd necessarily advise it. <laughs> and obviously, like our Yukon North of Ordinary being on an airline that, apart from the pandemic, does provide uh, a level of stability that a lot of other publications don't have. So we are lucky for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And tell us about your podcast. I'm particularly interested in Frisky North of 60, but... But in order to hide that, I'll ask you about the the Yukon North of Ordinary podcast first. Well, I will say that uh, around town here, a lot of people come up to me and are like, oh, I love your podcast, blah, blah, blah. And I'm always like, oh, which one? And they kind of look at me for a second and they're like, uh, Frisky? And I'm, oh, okay. Because, <laughs> you know, the Yukon North of Ordinary podcast is maybe the more professional one, but actually more of Yukon North of Ordinary podcast listeners are outside of the Yukon, about 75%. So it makes sense. Uh, our frisky audience is lower. So uh, Yukon North of Ordinary podcast launched a year and a half ago. And at that point, I'd already launched Frisky. And I guess always just thinking of ways to, again, reach new audiences. And because we didn't have stories online at that point, it's like, what's a way that we can uh, share our stories more broadly? And I'm very grateful. Um, I'm a contractor editor for Yukon North of Ordinary, but our, our publisher is very hands-off. He's just, um, he, and, he, and he loves new ideas. He's an ideas person. So often when I come to him with an idea, um, you know, usually I'm also asking for a bit of money. So there's that, but but he loves <laughs> ideas and he was willing to just let me run with this. So um, I launched the podcast in November 2021. And what we do is we we tell stories that are in the magazine and and then sometimes outside of that too like something kind of spontaneous or something comes up and it, it's a it's an interview style podcast but um we can put our own advertising on there and eventually hopefully have other advertising on there too so we're uh distributing our our stories our yukon stories more wide, widely right so what is frisky so Frisky is a podcast. It's a question I've about... never asked before, by the way. <laughs> I bet. Uh, it's a podcast about dating and looking for love in the North. And people will always ask why I started this. And that was about three years ago. I actually started it before the pandemic, but then the pandemic happened. And I remember our first few episodes my co-host at the time kept mentioning the pandemic and I was like, stop talking about it. It's probably going to be over in a few weeks. And then these episodes will sound dated. <laughs> <laughs> a little did I know, but uh, yeah. I, I think I said the same thing on my podcast because that's when I started. Well, right. And, <laughs> and if you're like, oh, I'm not going to release this for a few weeks or a month or something, then it's like, oh. It'll yeah, this will be over. Come on, this will be over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the podcast, I, I guess, you know, I, I'm a journalist. I'm an extrovert. I, I And I'm, I'm pretty, <laughs> I like to tell stories about my own dating life and I think for years people are like oh you should have a column or you should do something and then finally someone's like you should start a dating podcast and 
uh, at the time I was I was kind of looking for a creative outlet. I was working for CBC Yukon at, at the time and um, yeah, I just was like, you know what, I'm just going to do this. And so found a co-host and uh, wrangled up a bunch of uh, people to talk to. And and actually Frisky has a very uh, dedicated uh, local local audience. Like uh, somebody came up to me on the street the other day and told me he loved the podcast. And I was like, do you know who I am? And he's like, yeah, you're from Frisky. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so it's it's quite sweet. And sometimes I forget. I mean, I, the podcast isn't about me, but sometimes I share some kind of I guess, details about myself. And then I forget that, oh my God, people might actually know things about me that I've told them. And I kind of forget that. <laughs> risky. <laughs> risky <laughs> and frisky. Right. So, so how, what is it about dating north of 60 that that requires its own podcast? <laughs> Good question. Uh, um, I mean, certainly some things are the same as uh, as anywhere in the world or anywhere in Canada, at least. Um, but I think a lot of the things up here are are the small population. Uh, so, you know, the fact that you're going to see your, your ex-partners or wives or husbands uh, around town. Um, and also sort of like northern date, just the lifestyle up here, you know, the outs, outdoors aspect. And so like we interviewed someone who has sled dogs and she's like, you know, I need to date someone who is going to want a sled dog with me. And so there's just some sort of like interesting uh, sort of dynamics or like uh, we actually an episode just dropped yesterday and it's called the northern love languages and we talk about um, the, the ways the northern ways that people can win your affection like waking you up in the middle of the night to see the northern lights and things like that that's so cool the, the northern love languages there's there's also a book in that and possibly a netflix series oh yeah so and i have read uh, gary chapman's book on the love languages so we are definitely uh riffing off uh, his ideas there well that that's how you create bestsellers you riff off of other bestsellers <laughs> just like good cover songs i will say too with the the podcast i mean frisky started off as as a labor of love and um but I do have uh, seasons two and three. I, I had a new co-host and he's he's really good at sales. And so that's something, as I mentioned earlier, selling myself or selling anything I do is just not within my comfort zone. So no, not only is Mark Kelly, my co-host, a great co-host, but he also has managed to get us advertising. So now it's like, okay, this is a legitimate side hustle because I'm actually making a little bit of money off it now. So it's good to, uh, I guess that's another advice. It, like not every entrepreneur is going to have all the skills they need for whatever they're mm -hmm. working on, but you can partner with other people and uh, hopefully have complementary skills. Right, right. How do you promote your podcast? I mean, obviously you want an, an audience. It's geared to um, an area that that is, you know, doesn't have a huge population, but it's not limited to that area. So, so what's, what, what's the plan and how do you promote it? Yeah, so Frisky is mostly... I should say almost exclusively promoted just on social media. Um, we do have sometimes we'll send out uh, really news press releases, I guess, to local media. And every time we're starting a new season to drum up support that way. And we did get a we did get an article in Up Here magazine, which is a magazine, another northern magazine based out of the Northwest Territories uh, earlier this winter. Uh, so mostly mostly local advertising. Um, 
Yukon North Ordinary podcast obviously has the advantage of having distribution in a magazine. So we do advertise it uh, in the magazine. We put logos on our stories that have associated uh, podcast episodes as well as having uh, separate advertisements as well. Also part of North of Ordinary is they have like TVs in North of Ordinary Media, sorry, which Yukon North of Ordinary is a part of. They have TVs in different places around the territory where they put advertising on. So they do advertise our, our podcast as well there. Um, and then one other thing I'll mention, which I haven't done yet and I've been intending to do is um, the podcast platform I use now, you can cross market your podcast on other podcasts. So basically you create a 30 second ad, you pay a bit of money and then your ad will play on, I think it's like 5,000 other, not different podcasts, but it'll play 5,000 times on other podcasts, which in theory have a similar audience so that hopefully you can gain new listeners that way. And I haven't had time to do that yet, but I have been reading that that's been successful for other podcasters. So uh, we're trying to trying to do that as well. Right. And of the two podcasts, one related to the magazine, the other related to love and life, um, which one has the momentum right now? Um, that's funny because I, I, I thought that Yukon North of Ordinary would take off a lot more because it does have a greater reach, um, but they're actually pretty similar numbers. I would say I think Yukon North of Ordinary is edging ahead now because also I'm releasing two episodes a month for for Yukon North of Ordinary and just one now for Frisky. So um, yeah, they're, they're kind of even and they have totally different audiences. But I think Yukon North of Ordinary, especially this summer when we start getting more tourists up and seeing the magazine, I think that'll that'll spike. As, as I've heard that podcast listening in general spikes uh, in the summer months, maybe because people are road tripping more or something and listening to podcasts in their cars. Very cool. Let's just switch um hats again and uh, if you could put on your your writer and editor hat um a lot of entrepreneurs you know would like to get more coverage in the media and i'm wondering if you have any advice for them in terms of of how to frame their story or how to approach journalists yeah it's funny because sometimes entrepreneurs kind of approach me and like they're like they want to write the story about them and i'm like well, no, that's not how it works. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I think the press release thing is still, uh, you know, I, I it's I kind of feel like it's almost like dating. Like when you send a press release, it's like the company really hopes that you like the idea. But also as an editor, you're also always looking for stories. Right. So it's like you don't want to appear too over eager and yet you're like oh yes this is a sweet idea but but if the entrepreneur pushes it too hard then you'll be like oh like I, you want to feel like the editor you want to feel like you have editorial control over the story so I think there's like a little bit of um I don't know push pull there but yeah I, I think honestly like press releases are, are just a good way to to uh share ideas um I'm always happy to uh get ideas in my inbox whether they come from freelancers or business or or whoever and um i think also people sort of pitching stories just need to think about what 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 the news is or what the exciting story is that that we should be sharing right and i find it interesting that you said don't just call me with a story idea do a press release because that's sort of a an, an intermediate a mediated step and so are you suggesting that it's better for them to invest a little bit in a PR professional who can help them 
sort of shape their idea to match the needs of your publication, as opposed to them sending you an email and say, hey, I've got a cool company and we're doing this and that. Because one is easier for them, yeah. but, but might not be what you need. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd be curious to see what you think about this too. But for me, I don't know. Yeah, it does seem like the press release is a little bit, it's less pushy and it's a little bit less arm's reach. And it, it does sort of at least give the illusion that like, that the editor is is deciding impartially that this is a good a good story um and it, i mean in the yukon it's a small jurisdiction so sometimes people are like hey can i have coffee with you and tell you about cool things my company's doing and i'm like well why don't you send me a note or something and we'll we'll uh i i guess i just uh so i mean i i would accept an email too and i mean if i thought it was a good story then i'd still probably uh try to pursue it but um do try i do try to keep uh like I said, especially in a, in a small jurisdiction where I run into people all the time who have these great ideas, it's good to uh, have a bit of a barrier sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I mean and the way I would put it, since, since you asked, um, is that a lot of entrepreneurs don't know how to tell their story. And I've spent a lot of time having coffee with entrepreneurs trying to figure out, okay, what's the new angle here? And it's great if someone walks them through that before they approach the media so that they can land with the best angle first, the angle most likely to appeal. And, you know, if they're, if they want the, a Vancouver newspaper to write about them, the angle might be different than if they want you to write about them. So to think about the audience and to think about their story is really good discipline. Yeah, I think those are good points. And, and sort of as you uh, mentioned earlier, uh, yes, I think it probably is worth it to have a communications person just to be hired, even just to write the press release, because they do have that expertise that the entrepreneur might not have or that the entrepreneur just might be too in the situation to kind of like see the, the outside picture. The other thing that I have to tell entrepreneurs more and more is that once the story's out there... <laughs> Um, don't expect it to, to rock your world. Um, even, uh, you know, and it, it's not a matter of, of the size of the, the marketplace. It's a matter of the fact that the, once uh, a media outlet covers your story, they're probably not going to cover it again for years. So you only had that one shot. And the one shot doesn't stay long in this attention-starved economy unless you amplify it yourself. So once the story's out, your work just begins. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Uh, when I was particularly when I was working for CBC in like daily daily news, it's like, no, we did your story yesterday. Like, I don't care that you have something new to say today. The story is done. And, you know, that that was your shot, just like you said. Yeah. So it's, it's I mean, it, it, it's really hard to to get to make to get in the media today because the, the the space for stories particularly in print has shrunk and shrunk and the attention spans are less circulations have declined so they just entrepreneurs just have to get better at telling their own stories seek media support where they can but just find new ways to amplify and <laughs> reuse the messaging they have mhm mm yeah What's uh, next for Yukon North of Ordinary? Is there a, is there a plan? Are there uh, new things? You also have like a, I think an annual travel guide or something, which had. 
Yeah, we have, um, yeah, it's called Road Trip. That's our annual travel guide. That's actually older than uh, Yukon North of Ordinary Magazine. That was started in 1994 by the publishers. And that goes out to Yukon and places in Alaska and sometimes northern BC as well. It covers the Alaska Highway. Um, so that that publication at the moment is fairly static, although, of course, I am advertising the podcast in there for people traveling on the road. Um, I mean, one thing about um, podcasts in before you get to the next town. Oh, my gosh, definitely. <laughs> and there's no uh, cell service in between. So people have to download them when they're in the towns. Oh, good trip. Good trip. Um, one thing we talked about at a magazine conference I went to last year was uh, as a as a print pe- publication, uh, you can't just be a print publication. You have to be a brand. And that's one of the things our publisher has also been very good at. Uh, during the pandemic, they did have to close down. They had a, uh, it was called the North of Ordinary Experience Center. And it was an, basically an event center and, and cafe. And they had some merchandise there too. They shut that down during the pandemic, but uh, Greg Karias, the publisher, says that was sort of a blessing in disguise because what they ended up doing is just opening up a retail store uh, in, I think, some late twenty, I th- late twenty twenty, I think it opened, and between twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two, retail sales uh, it grew. 275%. So, uh, and that store sells, it sells hoodies and mugs and hats and toques and all things that say Yukon North of Ordinary on them. So uh, that is part of our brand and tied up with our, our magazine as well. And so that store continues to go, go great guns. And I think also uh, with the magazine, we're also looking, we're always looking for new uh content, I guess, or just uh, approaches. So we added, in the last year, we added, or a year and a half maybe now, we added a a business section to our magazine, which we didn't have before. And um, I should mention too, we don't have, I'm the only editorial staff member, or I'm a contractor, but editorial paid person for the magazine. Everyone else is a a contributor, except for our um, art director, graphic designer, Manu Kegenhoff. So um, yeah, but luckily I do have a few regular contributors who are uh, also journalists who have always lots of great story ideas to contribute to the magazine. But yeah, I'm, I'm always, I guess, I'm always trying to hear from new people too, um, to diversify the content and, and, and the writers. And I would rather hear from somebody who maybe doesn't have a journalism background, but has passion and also has a diverse, unique story to tell. And I'm happy to mentor them through the process of, of writing that story because it is important to get new voices into the magazine. So that's sort of a divergent answer from your question, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of what I'm working on. Yeah, no, that's fabulous. It sounds like you're, you're doing all the right things. Final question for you, Karen. Um, I think that the, the North is a great brand. I think the Yukon is, is, is a growing brand. If an entrepreneur or anyone is thinking of moving up there from the relatively more settled uh, parts of Canada, what's what should they be prepared for? What what, what should they understand about uh, about Yukon life that the, that they may not be ready for? Get skis, <laughs> uh, cross country skis, <laughs> downhill skis. <laughs> As I said, winter is long. Um, it's people move here, and um, Whitehorse, unfortunately, is not very. Uh, bike friendly. So I think people move here from bigger cities and they're like, oh, the commute is, it's no big deal. I just have to drive 10 minutes. Um, but I think 
uh, getting around here can be tricky in the winter and, you know, like everywhere we're dealing with issues due to, to climate change. Uh, we've had one of our main roads into into Whitehorse closed because a, uh, a bank is eroding and uh, causing danger to, to the road. So um, I think just for people to know about uh, just the 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 north it can be kind of it can be harsh like I said Whitehorse has everything um, but uh, winters are are long and so uh, be prepared for for that all right well now that we've survived the the long winter sorry that was a terrible there was a terrible <laughs> answer <laughs> so sell me on the summer one more time what have you got planned for the summer personally you could go anywhere in the the Yukon and you know all the cool places. Uh, I got into pack rafting a few years ago and pack rafting, that's where you have an inflatable raft and you carry it uh, on your back along with all your camping gear. It's quite heavy and uncomfortable, but because we have uh, relatively little road access here, there's a lot of uh, rivers that you can get access to uh, just on foot. So uh, that's uh, usually in the summer, I try to do a couple of pack rafting trips uh out here um, and then once you blow yeah, up that I mean, raft how far can you go before you have to pack it up again can you go for days yeah yeah you can go for days yeah you can go for a week probably uh more depending on what what river you're on but you have a uh, storage chamber so basically as much food as you can pack and you're uh, good to go yeah and awesome. you don't need a headlamp in the summer for until sort of mid-august so that's a perfect <laughs> So, but, but you, you should bring a, a sleeping mask along. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. A sleeping mask, always. All right. We've been talking with Karen McCall, the editor of Yukon North of Ordinary. And uh, summer's just beginning there. So put it on your list of, of travel adventures. Karen, thanks so much. And I hope you have a fabulous summer to, to make up for that long winter. And I'll be thinking of you pack rafting because that sounds like a great adventure. <laughs> thanks so much, Rick. Lovely to talk to you. Great to talk with you. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.